give Tom Tanner an amazing ovation right now. That would be fantastic. Y'all uh, just keep your eyes open for uh, Brad Willoughby's Netflix special. Coming soon, right between Jim Gaffigan and Nate Bargatze. Hopefully it won't overshadow the two of them. So RS Together uh, was coming up. New classes uh, in our, I, th- I guess it's quarters. If we do it four times a year, correct? So uh, look forward to that. We have some great classes coming up. Uh, the dinner. Be sure and sign up for the dinner. It's going to be a great meal. There's a new game. Uh, that's a relief to some of you. Uh, it's a new game. And uh, it'll be fun. And, uh, and we're going to have giveaways. So, hey, what's better than that? Come to church. Go home with something that you didn't bring. That's kind of the way it's supposed to happen, right? So, look forward to that. Um, y'all ready? Easter. You know, you know that Easter's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And what are you supposed to be doing right now as you prepare for Easter? Pray for someone that you're supposed to bring, right? So, how many of you have done that already? Yeah. So how many of you are, you've prayed, but you just haven't heard the name yet? You don't know who it is yet. Okay. How many of you, you know who it is and you're scared to death to ask them? No. You're going to be, it's going to be fine, right? You're going to ask and, and, and you're going to leave it up to the Lord as to whether they say yes or not. Uh, I know of one person who's already texted me and said, hey, I asked my person. They said yes. So that's exciting. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a minute, and we're going to pray together. And I want you to just get quiet before the Lord and ask Him, God, I I believe there's someone you want me to bring on Easter who really needs you uh, in their life. And so let's take a minute and and just ask the Lord to tell us who those people are. Okay? Right? Just close your eyes and, and listen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray you would speak, that we would hear, just give us ears to hear your voice, Lord. We, we want to obey. We, we want to do what you want us to do. Lord, we, we know that one of our, our highest purposes as a church is to carry your message to those who, who haven't heard or, or those who haven't believed. And so I pray during these next few weeks as as we approach Easter that you would put it in our hearts to share your message. And Lord, at the very least, to to give an invitation 
to someone. Someone who has never been in church or who has been in church and wandered away. Somebody who's in a, a tough place or maybe just in a blind place. Help us, Lord. Lead us to those people and give us the courage to make that ask, to give that invitation. And Lord, we trust you. We depend on you. We leave the results to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all just just keep praying, believing that the Lord will give you someone. And uh, again, our our goal is that that no one would come to Easter alone. And uh, we would fill this place up twice. Uh, Last week we talked about the woman who poured the expensive perfume on Jesus, uh, his head and and his feet. She anointed him for burial was his uh, response that she was doing this to prepare him uh, for his death and for his burial. And one of the things we, we mentioned is that uh, his closest followers who were there and kind of complained about this uh, because they didn't think it was appropriate. They should money should have been uh, the perfume could have been so, sold and the money given to the poor uh, when it did come time where it would be appropriate to anoint his body for burial. Where were they? They, they kind of scattered. They were nowhere around. And, and so it was left to a couple of guys who are, it's interesting to me, the two men who, who asked for permission to take Jesus' body and anoint it and, and get it ready for burial were what we would call secret Christians. And, and you know, I didn't even know that you could do that. And, uh, but they were. Uh, if you read through Scripture, you'll see Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea who... Uh, asked for Jesus' body. Uh, it, it says actually about him that he was a believer, but he didn't tell anybody because he was afraid of what would happen to him. And then there was also Nicodemus who helped him. And Nicodemus, we know, is one who came to Jesus at night uh, after dark because he didn't want people to see that he was actually talking to Jesus. So we have two guys who were kind of afraid or, or maybe even ashamed of their faith are the ones who come and get Jesus' body and take it and get it ready for, for burial. And the people who have been following him and going with him everywhere, they're nowhere around. And so today we want to take a look at, a little more deeply uh, at the absence of the disciples. Uh, immediately after the death of Jesus. Uh, what's going on there? What's happening with them? So uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 14, uh, or you can just look at the screen. Beginning at verse 12, Mark 14. On the first day of the festi- festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. 
When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take Eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out. To the Mount of Olives, you will fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, uh, what you want to do in us. Uh, We open ourselves and we say, come and have your way in us so that you can have your way through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the time has come for the Passover, and, and Jesus' disciples, the twelve, they, they know that Jesus will want uh, to observe the Passover and to have this meal. And so they ask him, you know, what do you want us to do? What do we need to do to get things ready for, for you? And Jesus gives them some instructions, and uh, he tells them in detail what will happen and, and who they will see and where they are to go and what are they, they are to ask and, and what will happen. And he just lays it out for them. And, and, you know, depending on the theological slant of the commentary that you read, some will tell you, well, obviously Jesus prearranged all of this and, uh, you know, had, had gone ahead and, and set everything up and just told them where to go and, and had people waiting for them. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It could have been that way. Or Jesus, being Jesus, just knew everything. Or Jesus, operating through the power of the Holy Spirit, had a word of knowledge. So you can decide what you think. 
Um, but whatever, it happened the way Jesus said it would happen. Um, most of the paintings that we have about this supper, you, you've seen them, paintings about this Last Supper, depicting this supper, they show the disciples sitting around kind of a fancy table, and uh, they all have this serene look on their face like, you know, what, what an awesome thing. What, what a wonderful time we're having here. This is a great meal. We've got, you know, this great spread. We're sitting around this table. And then maybe over in the corner there's Judas who has kind of a shady look on his face. And he looks like that guy that's up to something because he was that guy who was up to something, right? And so that's kind of, you know, the way that history has painted uh, this dinner. But it really is not probably the way it was. More than likely... Uh, they're sitting or lounging on cushions on the floor, and the atmosphere is intense. In fact, the atmosphere around this dinner is, I would say, horrific. This is not a fun dinner. Uh, don't, don't kid yourself. This is not a fun dinner. Jesus starts the meal by saying, one of you will, be, will betray me. And I would just say, try that. Try that at your next dinner party. Just, you know, spread the table, and when your guests sit down, just look at them and say, one of you will betray me. And just see how it goes. It's not going to be a fun night. I can promise you. So Jesus starts the meal with one will betray me, and they all deny it. And then he says, it'll be one of the twelve. And then he says, woe to the one who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Like I said, I mean, this is not a fun meal. This is intense. Next, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to his disciples and he says, this is my body. Now, eating together in Jewish culture was a sign of peace. Table fellowship uh, for the Jews was more than just a social thing. You didn't just eat with, with random people. This, this meant when you gathered together for a meal, it was a bonding experience. This, this is a family thing. Uh, this means we're brothers. It's more than just social. Eating together was a sign of family and brotherhood. And to betray, to betray the one who shared his table with you would be considered a despicable act. And so Jesus breaks the bread, and he is in essence saying, what is happening to this bread is going to happen to me. What is happening to this bread will happen to me, and it will be good for you. What is happening to the bread, the breaking of the bread, is going to happen to me, And it will be good for you. This is a shocking truth. He says, eat this, be nourished by it, let it give you life. Because my death will do the same. Eat it, be nourished by it, let it give you life. My death will do the same. Now, keep in mind, this is bread. It's not Brussels sprouts. It's not asparagus. It's not something that you can avoid. Right? This is bread. This is something you're going to eat every day. 
for the rest of your life. Now, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, we tend to you know, frame that around this supper. We tend to frame it around Holy Communion. On Sundays when we have communion, we even mention, Jesus said, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And we kind of position that or phrase it as if Jesus was talking about, whenever you have Holy Communion in church, remember me. But actually what Jesus is saying is whenever you eat bread, remember me. That's every day. Several times a day. The disciples are at this horrific meal. They've been told that they will betray him, deny him, desert him, that they will all fall away. They've been told on several occasions that he's going to Jerusalem to die. He tells them, here's my body. What's happening to this bread is going to happen to me. And every day for the rest of your life, several times a day, remember it. Remember it. It was customary... Let me, let me just back up and just say, the breaking of the bread is incredibly significant. Incredibly significant. So next, Jesus takes a cup. It's customary that at a dinner like this, everyone would have their own cup. Uh, you know, we tend to think, oh, you know, that they just, they, they didn't have very many cups. Back then, there was, was a cup shortage, and so they just kind of passed the cup around the table and drank out of a different, the same cup. But, but typically, at a meal like this, everyone would have their own cup. Uh, but Jesus takes a cup, and he passes it around. And here's an interesting thing to me. Jesus passes this cup around, and everyone drinks from it. Now, keep in mind, Jewish people did not consume blood, right? I mean, even if they're going to eat meat, they're going to drain the blood from it before they cook it and eat it. Because blood was no, no, no. Stay away from blood. So think about this. They're at this dinner party that is already intense and awkward. They've already been told that they're going to betray, deny, scatter, run away. Jesus passes a cup around. Everybody drinks from it. And after they have already swallowed, he says, oh, by the way, that was my blood. He's saying this to people who would never, under any circumstances, drink blood. It's almost like he punked them. It really is. It's almost like he punked them. He he says, oh, here, drink this. Oh, by the way, that was blood. It really is shocking to them. If you can imagine the statement from Jesus, that was my blood, must have floored them. Now, I want to say that most of us like to think that if Jesus were to come into the room 
that we would be so comfortable with him. If Jesus were to walk in, you know, hey, bud, how's it going? Uh, we would like to think, you know, we'd be perfectly comfortable sitting next to him. We even would like to think that we might be comfortable even just crawling up in his lap and putting our arms around him and laying our head on his chest. Right? We would be comfortable crawling. I want to say that most of us, Jesus would make most of us really uncomfortable. That may not, maybe that doesn't fit your theology, maybe that messes with your mind, but I, I just want to say to you, uh, read the Bible. He made everybody uncomfortable. Even the ones who loved him dearly, at times he made them very uncomfortable. And I believe that most of us would be incredibly uncomfortable around him initially. He rocked the boat all the time. All the time. Their culture said don't talk to women, so he talked to women. Their culture said don't associate with Samaritans, so he talked to Samaritans. Their culture said don't eat with sinners, so he ate with sinners. Their culture said don't heal on the Sabbath, so he healed on the Sabbath. Their culture said it, you know, or their disciples said to him, we've got a whole mountainside of people here who are hungry. We should send them home. And so he said, tell them to sit down and you feed them. His disciples said, Lazarus is sick. We should hurry. And he said, let's just hang around here for a while and let him die. <laughs> His disciples said, everyone is looking for you. And he said, yeah, let's sneak out of town and go somewhere else. Very uncomfortable. It was just an uncomfortable dinner. So I said it was customary for each person to have their own cup. And, and when, when you drank from a common cup, when you shared a cup around a meal, it, it had great significance. What it, what it says is that you're joining them. You're joining them. You're joining their journey. You're becoming a part of their destiny. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples by sharing his cup with them. He's saying everything that's about to happen to me. You're going to be a part of. My body's going to be broken. Your bodies are going to be broken. My life is going to be shed. Your life is going to be shed. It's for the kingdom. It will be for the kingdom. Now, after the meal, they sing a hymn, and they leave for the Mount of Olives. And when they get there for their nice, sweet prayer time, Jesus says, you're going to fall away. Do you know what word he uses when he tells them they're going to fall away? He uses the same word that he used back in Mark chapter 4, I think it is, when he tells the story, the parable about the, the seeds and the different seeds that fall in different places. And there's a type of seed, he says, that falls on the ground that's shallow. And when trouble comes, falls away. That's how he describes the disciples. Shallow. 
Same word that he used to describe shallow faith that can't stand trouble. That's the word he uses to describe the disciples in this passage. He says, you're going to fall away. The word he uses is scandalizo. It means you fall away when trouble comes. And Peter says, not me. I'm not falling. Even if everybody else falls, I won't. And Jesus says, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter says, I'll die with you. And everyone else says, me too. And then Jesus asks them to pray, and they go to sleep. It's just a bad night for the disciples. It's a bad night. He goes and he prays and he comes back in their sleep and three times, three times they're sleeping. After three times he wakes them up and he says, Jesus is coming, so you, you should get up now. And I, I think, you know, this is just kind of a micro picture. They're making claims they can't stand up to. They're making promises that they will fail in. They're sleeping when they should be praying. Everything. Throughout the course of this night, you can just look at the disciples, and it's a picture of who they were. And the conclusion that it leads me to is that if it was simply a matter of human beings choosing to follow God and do the right thing, the ministry of Jesus would have died in Gethsemane. If it was up to human will, if it were up to us to be able to follow God by our own initiative, by our own choices, by our own determination, through our own strength of will, if it was up to that, the ministry of Jesus would have ended in Gethsemane when he was arrested. So let me just point at three things that as we move towards Easter, three things that you need to just have planted and rooted in your mind and in your heart. Number one, divine initiative. Divine initiative. This is God's plan. This is God's plan. It's not a reaction to what other people are doing. This is God's plan. God chose the cross. He picked it. It's His plan. Divine initiative. Second, divine intervention. God put the sin of the world on Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. The plan didn't look like a success. The disciples were scattered. Jesus himself felt alone on the cross. 
But what needed to be done, only God could do. Remember the verse that we quoted? It says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is really hard. Think about it. Do you know who struck the shepherd? God. God himself, by his own initiative, by his own intervention, put his son on the cross for you. Could you do that? No. Number three. So divine initiative, divine intervention, divine impartation. This crazy, mixed up bunch of followers who couldn't get out of their own way. Who said, we'll die for you, and then ran. Who said, we'll never deny you, and denied him three times before the rooster crowed. This crazy, mixed up bunch of men absolutely changed the world. They turned it upside down. They turned it upside down. How? What changed? Jesus said said to them, I'm leaving. And it's going to get better when I'm gone. I'm sure that was... Maybe to them the most shocking thing he had ever said. And and he said a lot of shocking things. He said, I'm leaving. It's going to get better when I'm gone. Because when I go to the Father, we will send the Holy Spirit to live in you. That, as they say, was a game changer. Spirit of God in you. Crazy as it sounds, the disciples found out that the Spirit of God in them was even better than Jesus with them. God in you, Paul says, is your hope. God in you. These men who ran in fear and hid Changed the world because God came to live in them. And that is the invitation that God has made to all of us. It has never been, come and live for me. It has always been, let me come and live in you. Game changer. Life changer. God in me. God in you. That's our hope. And guess what else? It's the hope of the world. It is the hope of the world. God in us. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be so yielded to you that we would 
live our lives filled with your Spirit. Not through our own determination. Not through acts of our own will. But through the power and demonstration of your Spirit in us and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... It's just kind of as we were worshiping today, you know, I was I was just listening to the Lord, and and uh, He was saying some crazy stuff, and uh, but I, I think I, I, I think I trust Him. <laughs> so here's the deal: think about it. The disciples should have been the ones to go get His body, but they didn't. The people who maybe were kind of in the background as secret Christians, were the ones that went and got his body. There are some of you who came here today because you need to be prayed for. And there are some of you who came today to pray for people. And I'm going to flip it. I'm going to ask those of you who are not on the prayer team, but are willing to be the prayer team, to come to the front right now. Both of you, no. If you're not on the prayer team, and maybe you came specifically today because you wanted to be prayed for. Even if you're a visitor, because that would make people really uncomfortable. Okay. Now, those of you who are on the prayer team... You get to go first today. Those of you who were assigned today or volunteered today to be a part of the prayer team, you get to be the first ones to come to be prayed for. So I'm going to invite you to come. And then after you've been prayed for, you can just turn around and pray for people. Okay? Does that work? Does that work?